Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned into episode number 475 of Linux in the Handshack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is our Weekender edition. It's the 94th edition of the Weekender. I can't believe we're creeping up on 100 Weekenders and 500 episodes. Boy, I guess that's why my beard is white. (laughs) 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 It's been... It's been that those many years since we've done that where it'll be 15 years in October. So yeah, take that all you newcomers to podcasters who are making way more money than we are. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you're riding on our coattails. <laughs> anyway, let's go ahead and dive into it. I'm Russ K5 TUX. I'm Cheryl W5 MOO. And I'm Bill NE4 RD. All right, very good. So, what we have to do tonight is our mystery random topic wheel, because that's what we do now on The Weekender. There's an application on the web called The Picker Wheel, which we have been using for the past few episodes to choose a random topic for us. We have, I believe, 24 topics on the wheel tonight that we're going to spin here in a second and figure out what exactly we're going to expound on for the next 15 to 20 minutes. It could be an amateur radio topic. It could be an open source topic. It could be a hedonism topic. We don't know, but we're going to find out. So let me click the button because I've already done the random, the five times randomization thing. I'm going to press this and we're going to find out what our topic for tonight is. Oh boy. I hope we can actually cover this one off the top of our heads. This, this might be fun. (laughs) <laughs> the topic for tonight is Linux commands you should know, but don't. Mm. Woohoo, I'm out on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, great. Cheryl's, Cheryl's like, Linux commands you should know. Should know, mm. but don't. And I'm I'm the fool who put this topic in the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you should start. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's... Let's, uh, well, I mean, we can't really say what people don't know, but I will pick a, t- I, I will pick a command that you should know for sure. And you may not. There's a command that everybody does know if they use Linux called top and everybody knows what top does, but top kind of sucks. There's a better command called H top. And if you've never used H top, you must use it. And, uh, it will, it will help you in so many ways over top. So Ted says, what the shell? <laughs> so, okay. So I started off. So HTOP is a, is a caller enabled, much more 
information producing version of top, which gives you your top usage, uh, application usage and process usage on a Linux system. HTOP just takes it to the next level and gives you much more information, much easier to read, actually splits out multiple processors and, and just gives you everything in a nice layout. It's really great. And if you're using the, the old original top, switch to HTOP immediately and use that from now on. All right, Bill, I've given you some time to try and dig one up. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, the 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 one that uh, has always come in handy in the lifespan of a Linux box is DF, which, of course, gives you your disk free space. And uh, the, knowing the switches to get the right units, units of measure, uh, especially like uh, gigabytes, because that's where we're at these days, right? Gigabytes and terabytes. Uh, DF space minus capital H gives you uh, your free space of all your mounted devices, um, mounted file systems, and it gives you in free available space because you use space in gigs or megs and available space in gigs or megs, depending on the size of the uh, mount point. And of course your free space and the very useful to know exactly how much space you have left on your drive, especially if you're crazy and have an older system that you've decided to put var in its own uh, mount point <laughs> and you're running really small or you have boot in your own mount point. Um, and you're wondering why you're uh, kernel won't uh won't compile and you get an io error or something like that because it has nowhere to uh save to because you have no space left in your slash boot i mean those those aren't problems we have um anymore on desktops because they uh by default don't set up that way you know they mount everything to to basically the root <laughs> which saves everybody a lot of trouble but uh yeah df and ha- there's a companion too if you want to know how much space is being used inside of a directory and that's du and uh, I forget all the switches on that, but uh, it does give you an estimate of the file space usage in a very specific place. Um, so that's kind of good if you're like, oh, I want to know how many, you know, how much space my videos are taking or something like that. So you can go into your videos directory and uh, do a DU on it. And uh, yeah, you can you can get a size, uh, estimated size of, of that as well. So DF and DU are probably the most useful, I think, that I can think of besides... Uh, getting into the gory ones like Auken said, which I think most people probably don't use anymore <laughs> unless you do a lot of uh, a lot of bash scripts or doing some uh, file processing and on the command line. Um, uh, those would be the other two that I think most people say, you know, you should know Auken said. And there's always used to be like meme t-shirts for Auken said. <laughs> well, there have, there have been books written on Auken said. So those are, those are definitely up there in the, in the lexicon. They're, they're very complex. And I will add a couple of things to DU and DF. There's also the free command, which gives you memory allocation space, which DF can do too, but free is just memory. And I believe for all modern variants of those, you mentioned dash capital H, but there's also dash lowercase h, which stands for human readable. And I believe all of those commands, when given a dash H, will give you reasonable output. Oh, okay. I just tried it, and yes, it looks exactly the same. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if you just do DF by itself, it gives you in, uh, in bytes, I believe, so... Yes, uh, excellent. We're getting comments in the chat room because this this is what I was hoping for, so we wouldn't have to try and think of these all on our own. <laughs> um, tail, yeah, tail's another tail is really tail good with the F, tack F, which is a yep, 
which is the follow command. So if you want to watch a log as it goes, tail minus F and then the file. And there's a cool utility uh, called multi-tail, which allows you to do that against multiple files at the same time, which is really, really cool if you're trying to figure something out that has multiple log files. <laughs> and you're like, where is this actually crashing at? Um, especially useful on production systems where you can't necessarily debug the code and you're just trying to track down an issue uh, in the production system. Yes, there's also been a mention of WC, which, if I remember correctly, stands for word count. And that actually gives you the data, the amount of data that's in a file in three separate units, uh, bytes or characters, lines, and total size, if I remember right. Number of words, number of lines, it and gives total you, size. Uh, yeah, lines, words, and bytes. Right. Yeah. So that is very helpful at uh, times. Geez. There's T. I see when I when I look at scripts online and people post code about like copying things into files using T T E E gets used a lot, but I've never really found a reasonable use for that. It's it's to redirect output simultaneously to two separate destinations. But I've never found a real solid use for that. Lots of other people use it, but I don't. Oh, so that's like it'll take the input of something and throw it to the screen so you can see it as well as into a file. Exactly. Right. That that is definitely one use case. So, yeah. Um I would like to suggest uh, this is this is not a base level like shell command, but it's one that I've been using a lot lately. It's an application actually called it might be a GNU command too, I'm not sure. But it's iperf i p e r f and this is hmm. uh i don't have that hmm. you should be able to install it out of the repos it should be everywhere but what it is is a client server bandwidth tester you put the server on one machine you put the client on another machine and you can test the bandwidth between those two machines hmm. that that comes in really handy sometimes i'll have to try that one that that i haven't tried it's not a built-in it command, is not so i don't know if it counts right really. yeah yeah, yeah. I, I know we're trying to get to the lower level and stay inside of things that are like in your shell uh, iperf <laughs> is not one of those things but it's it's also super useful well it says linux commands so i mean yeah I guess, I guess it could be as generic as something you install right but then so could like the winter field day logger be a win <laughs> well see i mean <laughs> htop doesn't really fit in there either htop is kind of like iperp it's not something that's comes built in on your system like ls or anything like that but right for people that still use ps and stuff like that to get your processes obviously top allows you to see processes as well but gives you a list of everything and also you can sort it and stuff like that so that that's that's nice but htop of course is is the bee's knees these days all right don or, says about uh, t replacement for that that it allows you to run the script interactively oh oh now i suddenly see the use case <laughs> i've never done it that way apparently if you have a script that needs some interactive that that's interactive and you're using T you can see the output of the script without blocking the input. Mm. I get it. Thanks, Don. <laughs> can tell we don't use that. Yes. Method. No, I, I, I definitely <laughs> do not use T. So, but now I know why people do. So let's see what else is out there. Uh, colon. We got touch, right? Colon. Uh, he has new file. What's the new, new file? New file is uh, that one. just a new file. Yeah, if you type, I, I think the colon is superfluous there. But if you type 
redirect, you know, output redirect, other, other, you know, in other words, a right carrot or not a right carrot, a right, um, yeah, a greater than sign <laughs> into a file name like temp. If you do right direct, you know, greater than temp. Now you need the colon. It will create. You need the colon. Oh, you do need the colon? I don't think you do need the colon. Yep. No, yep, you do. <laughs> Oh, because you have right because you have to have standard in <laughs> right. Otherwise, it's it's waiting for standard in. Um, but you can also do that with touch. Yeah. You can do yeah. Touch is what I would yeah. Use touch and to touch and the name file. file. Touch and then the file name. Touch does two things. Since we're talking about touch, touch will create a file if the file does not exist, and if it does exist, it will update its access time. So, ah, uh, yes, it does. That's, that's what touch does. Does change the modification time. Yeah. Interesting. The things you learn when you hit the man page. <laughs> exactly. Man, let's talk about man. Man's the other well, thing. Well, man. Right? Yeah. If you ever want to know what a command does, <laughs> do man space in the command, and you will get a nice little, uh, you know, kind of less interface. Um, less is another one. Less. You want to uh, less a file. Right? Oh, I always less. use less over more. Less is way more than more. So. <laughs> way more than it, more. It is yes. way more less than and more. more. Yes. Less is more than more. <laughs> with search and everything else oh oh so let really me nice. throw, let me also throw um, in z more and z less people may not know about oh, those yeah, for, uh, for, for lessing compressed files without uncompressing them of course z grep of course goes with that and grep right if you're looking for something very specific in those set of files and then there's also e grep which will that's a lot yeah e grep allows you to grep on regexes so that's nice um boy there's more here than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> For all the people that don't want to go in the command line, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Command line intro. Because <laughs> uh, everybody knows how to do, you know, CD and LS and dir, make dir and remove dir and RM, remove, move MV. There's all kinds of fun commands. Uh, can't think of any odd ones that you should know besides that list so far. Yeah, that's the problem with these on-the-fly topics. We don't have time to prepare and, and come up with a really deep examples of things you should probably know. Let's see, there's cat. Um, one, one thing that might be useful to some folks is netcat, which allows you to send data to a pipe, and that pipe can be a socket or a file or anything, pretty much. So if you need to get data from one place to another, whether it's on a local machine, through a pipe, or across a network, Netcat can be very useful. And I believe that is included on most systems. Hmm. Oh. A, what was the command to talk to somebody in another terminal? Oh, write? I, was that, oh, that writes to a terminal. But I think you, you could actually chat, right? Yeah, I believe, I believe it used to be called talk. Another terminal. Wasn't it talk? But that, wasn't that mm. the old days? Yes, yes. Used to be the old days of hiding your conversations. Yeah, I'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah, the command client. was talk. Go. Talk to another user. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think people use talk Not much very anymore, useful, hey? I guess, anymore. <laughs> I remember doing talk. When I was using BSD Unix back on the old VAC system in college, talk was the thing. <laughs> yeah. You could chat with other people in class and stuff. Yep. Right? <laughs> and then there's wall, which stands for write all. That's for sysops. You could you could write to all open terminals using wall. I don't think we're going. I think we're slipping into back in my day. <laughs> back in my day, yeah, I think we we probably have gone too far. 
<coughs> sync and halt, right? Oh, wait, no, that's the wrong system. What, what about DD? <laughs> Although I think those still work, actually, uh, for Ed, line edit. Oh, no, stay away from Ed. Just <laughs> just use Pico or Nano or yeah. Buy or Emacs if you must, but stay away from Ed. <laughs> what about DD? DD is very powerful. Yeah, I think a lot of people learn about that when they make their first ISO image inside of a Unix system, you know, because that's normally the commands that are given for uh, the, what is it, direct data copy or something like that, DD? Yeah, but it can do so much what more than just called? copy. I mean, it's literally a direct byte copy. So you can do things like DDIF equals slash dev slash zero OF equals slash to zero fill your hard drive. <laughs> Don't do this. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. DD is super powerful. Much much like catting dev null into your, your file system as well. <laughs> well, you can also do things like if you if you really want to zero out a drive, you, that's why you use slash dev zero. But you can also use like slash dev slash u random, and that will actually write. If you do that a few times to your disk, it will be unrecoverable. So if you really want to securely wipe something, you can do that. I don't know. Anything else? Anybody else in the chat room have uh, a suggestion? I think we've I think we've gone our requisite fifteen minutes for sure. I think so. If anybody else has anything, um, feel free to chime in. We'll talk about it. I mean, I do. I do like. I haven't really found uses. I think I already said this maybe uh, for awk, but I I have found uses for sed. Sed is really useful in a single command type environment. Awk awk can be too, but its syntax is a little more esoteric than said is so i used to use awk all the time to do uh, splitting or uh <coughs> making a new command to pipe to bash oh uh since we're talking about splitting what about cut cut is a great command i use that for all kinds of things you can take for example if you have a csv file and you want the if it's like a comma delimited csv file and you want the third field you can cat that file through cut dash d comma dash f3 and the output will be the third column so that's mm -hmm. super useful uh, most of the cool kids just use pandas these days for that <laughs> let me load a monster library to just work with this tiny csv file so <laughs> <laughs> i have done so many things i have i have done the weirdest things with cut because it also allows you to, like, for the field specification, you can pick a single field, you can pick non-consecutive fields, or you can pick consecutive fields. For example, you can do dash F comma three, that will give you one columns one, two, and three, or you can do three comma, which will give you three to the end of the file, and things like that. Stat is good, yes. I don't use that a whole lot, but it is useful. Um, one, one that might be useful for people in, in esoteric situations is modern file systems don't reference their, don't reference themselves by their directory entries anymore. They reference themselves by UUIDs. And if you're wondering how to find those, the command is block ID, B-L-K-I-D. That might be one to, to know in your lexicon or do a, a man on it or Google for it. Uh, dash F on cut Ted starts with column zero as it should. <laughs> that always annoys right. me when it's I find something that uses one, one as the very first number. It's like, no, it should be zero. 
At least I think it is. You know, now that I think of it, I don't. I think I may have answered that wrong. I find a CSV file here. Let's see. I think I have one of my downloads directory. I, I think I'm wrong. I think it starts with one. When I when I go through all of my my brain cells trying to figure out the last time I used it, I believe the first column is one. Oh, the tr command translate. Yeah, that's useful too. Change one thing from a file into another. Yeah, cut fields are numbered yeah. from one. There you go. Yeah, I, I, I thought about it for a second when I said it, and then I was like, yeah, no, it's one. <laughs> uh, but yes, tr, also very useful. All right, that's enough of that. Uh, I think we gave out like 20 <laughs> commands there. You can uh, you can Google or, or run man on. <laughs> oh, oh, speaking of man, there's another command called info. Uh, newer newer man and more detailed man for modern applications sometimes use info you can info man and uh <laughs> huh you can i believe you can info man yes yep yep you can and also info, info. also if you if you man if you use man let me just say this there the man the man pages are split into sections and if you if you man something and you go way down to the bottom of any man page you're going to see see also type stuff and next to the the things that it see also there are numbers and those are the sections of the manual that they're in sometimes things are in more than one section and they have different information so if you need to find a specific piece of man information you can specify a number you can say like man 1 man or man to man and the the man pages will tell you which ones are available and what was the one i just saw oh i was looking at the man for man and it came up with apropos apropos is a great command and also which yes which is definitely used a lot um and and which apropos, so people know because <laughs> You should probably say what which is. <laughs> which tells yes. you where a command is in your, uh, that's actually being called when you type a command. So you could do which and then ls, and then you can see where ls is actually located on the file system. Right. And if which does not return anything, it is not in your path. And apropos actually does what apropos means. If you're trying to find a command that does a certain thing, you can do apropos and whatever that thing is, and it will tell you the command that does that thing. All right, all right, enough, 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 enough. <laughs> People's eyes are bleeding at this point. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on. Let's let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to some hedonism. We need to bring Cheryl in here and give us some, some food. I'm going to actually write the Linux commands you should know, but don't as a topic for tonight's mystery topic wheel. But now we're going to get down to hedonism. We hope that was enlightening for everybody. You can run down through the list. I'm going to try and include as many of these commands as I can in the show notes so you can find them if there's something that we hit that you are not familiar with. But definitely check those out. And then Cheryl is going to tell us about uh, apparently what we're having for dinner tonight. Yeah, except I still forgot to defrost any chocolate. Okay, maybe tomorrow night. No, we're doing it. We're doing it tonight. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have ways. Speed defrost. Yes, yeah, speed defrost. I have ways to do that. <laughs> so, so tonight the recipe I'm sharing with everybody is for garlic chicken stir fry. Chris and I are huge fans of stir fry and such. This was picked for our dinner tonight, which will happen after the show. 
but it sounds super tasty. So for this, you need some peanut oil, some garlic cloves, some fresh ginger, green onions, salt, chicken breasts cut into uh, boneless skinless chicken breasts cut into strips, onion, cabbage, uh, red bell pepper, some sugar snap peas, some chicken broth, some soy sauce, some white sugar, and some cornstarch. And you mix all that together uh, in various ways, and you stir fry it and have a nice, yummy dinner. So I'm going to mix that with some fried rice because we have some leftover rice in the fridge. And then for our mixed drink corner, I picked out the Blue Hawaiian Cocktail because it's still like Shark Week, right? So anyway, the uh, the info on this one says the Blue Hawaiian is a fun, refreshing cocktail made with rum, cream of coconut, pineapple juice, and curacao. And it comes out a light, pretty blue color. So it was invented in Hawaii in the 50s, and the Sticky Cocktail will have you crooning like Elvis. And for this, you need two ounces of pineapple juice, an ounce of light rum, an ounce of blue curacao, an ounce of cream of, to, of coconut, and a pineapple slice and a maraschino cherry, and a cup of crushed ice. And put all this in the blender and puree it on a high speed until it's smooth. So, so there you go. You can have some stir fry and a blue Hawaiian cocktail for dinner. All right. Sounds good to me. I don't think I'm going to make one tonight since I'm still working on my tequila sunrise, but let's go ahead with my drink corner. And tonight I'm going to do something that I don't usually do, but it's a combination of impress- being impressed by the product and a little bit of laziness to not try to find something else. But I'm going to review something that I don't actually own, but I have been drinking a lot of it. So I'm going to kind of rely on the distiller's notes on this however they closely match my recollection of this so i'm going to go with that and then i i am actively looking to buy this this is not one of those hard to find things i just haven't had a chance to get to the store to actually purchase it but i will be buying this very very soon so this is the Macallan 12 double cask single malt scotch I have not, up to this point, owned any Macallans. I have, uh, up till now, considered them overpriced. However, having had the opportunity to sample the Macallan 12 double cask several times over the past couple of weeks, they have changed my mind. So, the description on this is the double cask forms part of our double cask range, which marries the classic Macallan style and the unmistakable sweetness of American oak. This is a fully rounded single malt in perfect balance with flavors of honey, citrus, and ginger. The Macallan Cask's journey from its origins in the forests of America and Europe through the cooperages and bodegas of Spain and to our distillery in Speyside, Scotland. There, the casks meet our new-make spirit and are patiently matured until they are harmoniously united to create a distinctive single malt with a sweeter, warmer taste and character. And again, all of these notes are the distillers. They are not mine because I don't have a glass in front of me to share with you my thoughts. But I have come to love this stuff. So I'm just going to give you what they say, and then I'm going to give you my rating. And then I suppose when I bring the bottle in, I'll do a quick follow-up and tell you if I find anything different. But the mash bill on this is 100% malted barley, of course, because it is a single malt scotch. The proof is 86, which makes it 43% ABV. A little bit low for me, which I, you know, is kind of like why it surprised me that I like this so much. But it's a Speyside Highland Malt. 
The color they've put as Harvest Sun because, you know, snooty. And the nose, creamy butterscotch with a hint of toppy apple, candied orange, vanilla custard, and newly felled oak. And I, I concur with all of that. The taste, just deliciously honeyed, wood spice, citrus, balanced with raisins and caramel. Absolutely true. And finish, oak lingers, warm, sweet, and drying. But uh, to me, the caramel also carries through there. It's it's the it's the foundational note in the Macallan 12 double cask, and it's fantastic. And a super easy drinker at a low proof. The price on this is currently running about $70 a bottle for 750 milliliters. This is why I generally don't touch Macallan, because it's sort of on the higher end of the price range. And generally, I can find things that are just as good for less. However, I am definitely recommending the Macallan 12. I think it's really good, and even at the $70 price point, it's worth having, which is why I'm going to get a bottle of it, and I'm giving it a solid 90. And when I review it here in the house, that may change up or down a little bit, but it's definitely a 90. So there you go. Macallan 12 double cask single malt worth its actual sticker price. All right, Bill, what do you got? (laughs) Well, uh, I took a trip to uh, Yellowstone National Park. Uh, I had some family in town, and we decided to take a day and drive through what was open in the park uh, due to uh, the flooding that uh, we had a few weeks ago here. And uh, it was a good trip, and I ended up uh, picking up a bottle of uh, Coulter's Run Small Batch Bourbon Whiskey from the uh, Grand Teton Distillery out of Driggs, Idaho. And I bought this at the general store there in the Yellowstone National Park. And uh, here, I'll just read the description. It's aged entirely in Idaho at above 6,000 feet and at extreme temperatures. Bottled in small batches, flavors are heavy on vanilla and oak without the associated rye burn. Uh, They had some awards they won. And let's see, tasty notes. Uh, The vanilla aroma is accented with a bright orange peel. Meanwhile, the palate is relatively dry, leading with oak and some vanilla, then finishing with baking spice. Mixed with ginger ale and lime, which I haven't done yet. I'm having it uh, straight here. The uh, the mash bill is 74% corn, 21% rye, and 5% malted barley. The proof is 88, which, of course, is 44% ABV. And, again, it was uh, $39.95 at the uh, National Park General Store. And, uh, yeah, I thought it uh, thought it was something I would uh, I would give a whirl. I happen to have, uh, you know, some Diet Coke in the, uh, in, the in the car. <laughs> So while we were waiting for Old Faithful to uh, pop off, um, I had a nice little uh, cocktail and uh, definitely helped to cool down the day because it was it was tremendously hot <laughs> in the national park uh, by all the the geezers or the geysers and the uh, the hot pots. Uh, uh, so uh, yeah, this was uh, it's actually really it's really not not bad um even just straight it's it's really good it's got a good color on it it's nice and uh dark uh amber i would say and uh yeah it tastes it tastes pretty good it's uh you know it's not as good as uh again our, one of our favorite rise but uh it's definitely definitely a, a keeper and at 39.95 it's it's not a not a bad deal for a uh small batch uh distillery uh, uh bourbon or whiskey but, uh, yeah, Coulter's Run, small batch, bourbon, whiskey. All right. I don't think I've even heard of any distilleries in Idaho until this point. So, fantastic. Are you going to try the thing with the ginger ale and lime? I will if I don't run out of it first. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually quite a compliment, I think, that, that you're willing to go through it that quickly. 
Which is good because uh, if that's what you're drinking now, this means you can handle the two bits of feedback because they are comments on your YouTube videos. So if you want to hit these and see if you have any responses, we'll let you go to it. Sure. Yeah. The first one came as a YouTube comment on the CQR log failure to launch from Traveler NL. Uh, He says, or she says, or they say, uh, installed on Garuda Arch KDE Plasma. Uh, just before I stumbled on this video, I had no issues with the database. However, QRZ lookup needs to be fixed. No worky after feeding it my call sign and password. I do have an XML subscription that works fine on other loggers. Sadly, there's no QRZ upload support built in either, not even on the future feature list. Uh, shoving ADI files around is just, yeah, a bunch of characters. I mean, I'm assuming that's uh, crap. <laughs> the DX cluster <laughs> yes. needs the, the yeah, BS, right. Yeah, the DX cluster needs the Telnet port to be filled out in the form. Most other software assumes the default is port 23 when not filled out, but CQR, re- CQR log requires you to tell it. Theming is not consistent, consistently carried out. Oh, sorry, carry, I'm adding all kinds of words. Uh, it's not consistently carried through in all views and panels, but that can be fixed, I guess. Uh, while using a dark theme, the cluster, among other, some others, show up in white. I think those are web text blocks and therefore need to be themed somewhere else, uh, like a dark browser showing a white page. Yeah, um, I, I haven't had any problems with the uh, call lookups on mine, so I can't really speak to that. As for QRZ upload, I I kind of agree that it's, it's probably not needed. Uh, QRZ is not necessarily a... Uh, a place where I would consider a confirmed contact to be authorized by any means, because uh, you can take over somebody's call sign on QRZ quite easily. So uh, not quite a, a secure way to, uh, to confirm calls. Um, so yeah, I, I understand the, that he has to now then manually send that up to QRZ. But um, if you look around at other people's call signs, you know, not a lot of people are not using QRZ for any logging whatsoever. Um so take that for what you will. Uh, and, of course, it is written in uh, Pascal, and I think he uses uh, GTK, possibly, as uh, as the GUI uh, uh, toolkit. Um, but I can't confirm that off of my head, top of my head. I, I did look at the source code a while ago, but not recently enough to remember specifically that and probably living inside of various uh, various instances of desktop environments yeah dark mode is not is not uh is not handled well across all desktop environments <laughs> just in general uh so it does not surprise me that much that it's not properly themed to uh to properly switch it's much like wsjtx doesn't switch a uh, to a, a readable in my opinion, a readable highlight uh, rule either in uh, in dark mode. It does do dark mode, but not not very well without a little little tweaking to make it more readable on a dark mode screen. Uh, so that's pretty common. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm sorry you're running into big issues like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is it is what it is. Uh, he does take. Uh, I'm pretty sure he does take PR requests and stuff like that. So you can help him make the software better and help participate in the open source process. Uh, the other comment is from the custom Ubuntu ISO creator from Ramon180. And he says uh, he's struggling to install Cubic on to 22.04. Any help, uh, more than welcome. And the only thing you have to do there is basically add the uh, 
the PPA repository for Cubic, and then it should just install because that's how I made our disks on the 2204 uh, build space system as the uh, build system. And we did go, I thought we went over that in detail somewhere as well. Well, obviously in the video, but we did go over it again when I made the video. So we actually recorded an episode about using Cubic to make the uh, to make the new build. So check out that episode as well. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll respond on these comments on YouTube if you haven't already. I have not responded to them. And I, I will leave that to you since you're the one who posted the videos. And uh, I don't know. Let's see. When did we talk about Cubic? Don't actually. I don't have an. In, let's see. 448 is the last episode we talked about Cubic on, apparently. But it wasn't about, about right. yeah, the cubic um, and BitTorrent d- deep dive that we did was a long time ago, so, uh, to episode 244 back in 2018. So mm, I, I know we I talked know we about talked it. I remember distinctly it. talking about it. Oh, it was the distro deep dive. That's right. Hang on. It's the LHS deep dive. I have to look that up by the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it is 462. 462. Okay, that makes so, sense. There yeah. you go. So we did talk about it very yeah. recently. Read it, so. read. Yes, yes. Check out episode 462, and of course, Bill is going to respond to you on YouTube. So you should have all the information you need. And I'm going to throw in here that I, I posted this in the Discord, but we did the, the deep dive on Hamshack Hotline. And since then, I have gotten onto four more VOIP networks for hams. Um, there's hams over IP, there's amateur wire, there's Freestar UK SIP network. And what was the other one? There's another one that's eluding me at the moment, but I don't know that I'm going to talk about all of these, but they all exist. And I am actually, well, wait, I, I have four, I have four logins on my phone. There's Hams over IP, there's Hamshack Hotline, there's Amateur Wire, and the other one. Ham VoIP? Ham VoIP? <laughs> no, Ham VoIP is the all-star thing. That's that's we're doing all-star on a Raspberry oh, okay. Pi. Oh, I, why am I drawing a blank on this? It's, uh, wow. Okay, but anyway, there's a lot of them out there. So, oh, oh, I know what it is. It's the online amateur radio club voip network the oarc o-a-r-c voip network so you can I'll, I'll put links to all of these in the show notes so if you're if you're interested in doing all this sip networking you know voip networking eeks networking type stuff uh with your phones i will have links in the show notes for all of that and i am as i said i am connected to all of them now so i should be in the uh, in the phone books and my my uh, my Cisco phone is is doing lots of duty right now, <laughs> which is which is pretty cool since it was sitting on a shelf for the last like eight years. <laughs> so, all right, that brings us down to new subscribers and so forth. So we're going to bring Cheryl back on here, and we'll let her finish out the show. Oh, fine. I guess I can do that. Well, so, you've done so much work so far. I have because I am so knowledgeable about Linux. <laughs> don't don't give our secrets away. What are you doing? I mean, 
Hey, I use Linux. Well, that's I true. I don't <laughs> use Windows anymore. Okay, proof but... positive, people. You can use Linux without knowing a thing about it. So Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, and occasionally you have to yell for Russ to come do stuff because you can't figure out how to do it yourself. So, that's just how that works in this it, house. It, it works so. that way because I don't know everything, and I'm perfectly willing to admit that. So. Well, see, there you go. So, so for our segment four, which is our subscribers and such, we had no new subscribers or Patreons this week. For Facebook, we had Robert Orr, Allison Moreno, Timothy Welty, Eugene Garchow, Peter Becker Jr., and Robert Summers. On Twitter, we had at Andy underscore N underscore Mocum. On YouTube, we had Steve Romagni. On Discord, we had KF4BOG. There were no merchandise sales. And in the live chat today, we have Don, KB2YSI, Dan, KB6NU, Ted, WA0EIR, David, VK3JDC, and Steve, KA7HVT. All right, very good. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. That brings us down to the end of our Weekender, the 94th edition of our Weekender, where we now do a random topic suggestion, and then we get into the hedonism, where we talk about food and booze and song and all the wonderful things that make life worth living. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you have a great week, and we hope you'll tune in to our next episode, which will be a deep-dive episode. So you'll want to be here for that. It's a great topic. It's one we have not really covered in any kind of depth before, and we are all looking forward to it, so we hope you tune in for that. In the meantime, have a good one, and we'll talk to you all very, very soon. This has been episode number 475 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. <laughs>